Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Good evening, everyone. Agsa Ghana Yatanga Yuandi. We stand on Ghana land and we honour the Ghana people of the Adelaide Plains. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging and honour Ghana people's deep and abiding connection with country. Full house. Wonderful to have you all here and wonderful to have our international guests. I just want to say a couple of things. I know you're dying to hear their talk. It'll be great. Julie Robinson, you know, wow, what you've done with this exhibition has been incredible. Many, many years, um, more than 10 years since you bought the first Andy Warhol for the gallery. 49 of the 285 works in this exhibition are in our collection. <laughs> and 45 of those 49 have been photographs. But I also want to really acknowledge our significant lender, the National Gallery of Australia, the Wall of Mick Jaggers, the incredible um, Elvis, so many works. NGV have been a very generous as well as Queensland Art Gallery and 50 other lenders, many of whom are here tonight. So I think that's it from me. Christopher Marcos was uh, suggested to Julie that perhaps it would be good if he came uh, to, to bring the exhibition to life. Not only is he a Warhol collaborator, but also, of course, is an artist in the exhibition. And you'll hear many of those stories tonight. So congratulations to you, Julie, and to everybody that's helped Tansy Curtin, particularly Maria Zagala, you know, Tyler's work and the whole, everybody supported you to deliver this project. So, um, and thank you, Christopher, for coming so far. It's been amazing having you in the house. We love you. We don't want you to go. But so, so please enjoy the evening and welcome Christopher and Julie to the stage. Oh, very much. I'm so thrilled to have you here and tonight we're going to talk, you know, have a conversation and about your practice and your connection with the exhibition and with Andy Warhol and then we'll have some time for questions at the end if there is, a, yes, a little bit of time for questions. Okay. But Did you put the timer on? I just, I'm keeping an eye on it. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to get straight into it. I've put together a PowerPoint. This um, will be a bit of a prompt for us to, you know, talk about. So okay. firstly, I'll just start off by in 1977, you yeah. published a book called White Trash. Yeah. We've got a, a reproduction copy here, but we've got the actual copy in the exhibition. And it seemed to be that that sort of marked your... Um, coming to prominence as a photographer in New York. Could you talk a little bit about that book and uh, what you were thinking about in creating that book and the images? So that book, which I was preparing in 1976, as you know, <laughs> and published in 1977, I was trying to figure out what to do with my photo career. And I was speaking to a publisher and they said, just put together some material about what's going on in the New York scene. And at that time, the New York scene was really the punk scene, the punk music scene, at a place called CBGB's. Uh, this picture that you see there is uh, Debbie Harry from Blondie's Legs. And if you know anything about fashion or the history of fashion, Stephen Sprouse was the sort of au courant uh, designer then, and that's a woven kind of uh, dress. And that was the cover of my book, White Trash. 
of which Warhol liked that book so much that, uh, and he liked the way I printed the book and what I did with the book, that he subsequently asked me to art direct his book. And then he subsequently bought a thousand books and he asked me to sign all thousand books. And I learned about business. I said, I'll sign them, sure, but for a dollar a book. So it was, it was a quick one, you know, thousand dollars, which was fun. Yeah. No, that's great. And we have the, the photograph in the exhibition and the book in the exhibition. Uh, uh, that's number, t number two. You mean number three? No, I'm showing you now. Here, David Bowie and, oh, and the Warhol David Bowie and Ava Cherry. Yeah, yeah. And they're both, these images are both from White Trash as well. Yes, both the, the, these pictures are in White Trash. And um, that portrait style is called the stand-up portrait. And that's the kind of portrait style that I sort of developed in the, in the 70s. And I still do that. And I have to talk, and it, you know, my sort of pitch to collectors, if, well, I never would say if you're too fat, but if you're too chubby, I would say <laughs> it elongates you and makes you thin. And if you're short, it elongates you and makes you tall. And so this, the, uh, I mean, this is oversized, but often they can be life-size. And I've done many of these portraits, both of Debbie Harry, Halston, the fashion designer, all kinds of people. And so that, these two pictures are in my book, White Trash. If you were to, oh yeah, well, we won't get to the, is Mick Jagger in my book? Uh, yeah, there is a portrait. We don't have it in the exhibition, but there's a great oh, yeah. portrait, you know, um, at Montauk. The, uh, is the, the, the next picture, the, the Christopher Reeves? Yeah, books. but just before we go to that, I just wanted to say, this is the first portrait you did of Andy Warhol, is in that correct? In 1976, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in, in my book uh, called, uh, uh, what's that book called? <laughs> what's my, that book called? Uh, Everything? No, that's Ah, oh, yes, yes, uh, yes. I haven't got it with me. In context. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I did this book. Uh, this I, book, I don't know, yeah. Yeah, I did this book called In Context because I got so tired of journalists and filmmakers and people talking about their experience or their secondhand or thirdhand impressions of Andy Warhol. It's 1976 is when you met Andy Warhol. It would be useful, like I know when. <laughs> Please tell everyone. Let's spin the wheel. Yeah. <laughs> Let's spin the wheel. Come on. Come on. When you met Andy Warhol. That story? Yes. Okay. <laughs> that story is, <laughs> I've told that story so many times that I keep remaking it, and I have to figure out which story I should tell you all. Mm -hmm. um, well, the one version of that story is, <laughs> one version of that story is, I was at the Whitney Biennial in New York City, and that's when the Whitney was up on Madison Avenue. And an author took me to the opening, and I was this pretty, blonde hair, blue-eyed surfer kid from Southern California, and not knowing why I was there, you know what I mean? But uh, I soon found out, you know what I mean? Because you're basically bait for older guys, you know what I mean? So uh, Andy, Andy met me, and of course he was you know, smitten with me right away. <laughs> so, I, I mean, do you want the real story or just the, the, the you know, like the... 
the, the stuff that all the writers write about. And that's why this book tells that story. And so Andy immediately you know, hit on me and asked me, oh, come on, hang out at uh, Max's Kansas City. And I'm this fresh kid from Southern California. And he would have said, like, if you want to go to the beach or do something, like, I would have done it. But I was not interested in hanging out with a bunch of drag queens and um, in a dark room. So I, <laughs> and so what I did is I, um, I took his phone number, didn't do any much with it. And then I had this exhibition uh, later on in 1976 at 492 Broom Street. It was called Step On It. And it was an exhibition of all my photographs on the floor, nothing on the walls, covered in plexiglass. It was very, I was very much uh, inspired by the Fluxus movement of something odd and peculiar. And I thought uh, this would be something that Warhol would like. And so what happened is I invited him to see that. He was busy. He sent Bob Colicello. Uh, he sent Bob Colicello to see it. Bob loved it. And then he said, why don't you come to the factory, which is more of what I wanted to do to be sort of accepted in a professional way. And that's when my professional relationship began with Warhol. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's fabulous. a good story. And, and that also li linked into, of course, Warhol had Interview magazine that he was publishing. Many photographers, including yourself, were uh, working for Interview magazine. Uh, do you want to talk? This is one of the examples of well, yeah, uh, yeah, your work there. I, I, I was working for, Ma for Warhol magazine, for Interview, Interview magazine. <clears throat> but for me, I, I, don't, I don't know if this is published in Interview magazine, but I do know that I used to, Andy wanted somebody to chum around with, with his photography and sort of make sure he was taking pictures and this and that. And I think that was one of those moments, but they, they, some of those pictures of those moments also ended up in Interview Magazine. Yeah. And that's probably one of those moments. And then the next picture of Mick Jagger, that is at the factory and that was probably, you know all those pictures that you, have you all seen the exhibition? That's 50-50. That's percent of you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you go mm, louder? Okay, that's much better, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so so, so um, if you saw that incredible suite of Mick Jagger silk screens, this, this luncheon was when uh, Jagger came to lunch and then afterwards Andy took those Polaroids and then after he took the Polaroids and then he, he made the silk screens. But I don't know if you did notice, but those are a real collaboration. And that's, if you look at the prints, Mick Jagger's signature's on the left and on the right is Warhol's signature. And that was one of the biggest principles of our working together was collaborating together. My whole adult career has been about collaborating. I've collaborated with him, Calvin Klein, most currently, Paul Soberg and I collaborate as the Hilton Brothers who's standing here. Stand up, Paul, and show everybody. Okay, turn around and up the hand around. Yeah, and so my whole id has really revolved around collaboration, uh, whether it's with, you know, Paul, Calvin Klein, or in this case, Julie. We collaborated on this exhibition quite intensively uh, via New York. Yeah. Terrific. 
And, and also that, I mean, Warhol was also a big collaborator, so you know, it, it worked both ways. Oh yeah, I mean, he collaborated with uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat. He didn't really collaborate with Keith Haring. No, not but, really. but with you a lot. Yeah, yeah but he, I mean, there's a whole suite of prints that when we, we did a couple of uh, German trips, do you know those German monument prints? Yeah. Yeah, the, it's a whole suite of, German monuments. Was it 1982 and, that you went there? Pardon? Was it 1982? I think so, yeah. yeah. Um, and most of those photographs are mine, actually. Yeah. It, well, that's an interesting point to just perhaps elaborate on for the audience is the idea of, because, you know, through the exhibition there'll be portraits that are called self-portraits, you know, yeah. by Warhol. Obviously, he didn't take the photo because he's in the photo. Right. But that concept of whose camera it is and what that means and passing a well, camera and around. And he used to pass around the camera. In other words, if it was his camera in his film, then they were his photos, no matter who took the picture. Uh, yeah. And you should use that as an example for yourself. You know? <laughs> uh, if it's your phone and you're, you know, you're just because, yeah, yeah, you know, whoever's paying the bills owns the pictures. Yeah. So that was pretty much what was going on. I mean, he was the first kind of influencer, as I talk about that in a bunch of interviews. I mean, he was the original Kim Kardashians with selfies, uh, tape recording everything that was around him, photographing everything around him. Yeah. And I mean, and the same went for everyone. Whoever's cap if your camera was being passed around, it was your oh, photos yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's great. You mentioned earlier Andy Warhol's exposures and how it's, it's quite clear that that was influenced by look, him well, looking at your white trash book and then getting you to art direct yeah, Andy, this. Andy asked me to art direct this book, uh, Exposures, and if you have a chance to see it uh, and you look at some of the double page spreads, uh, uh, when, when my book, when I had done my book, I had to, uh, was using film and I took the negative tray and I would um, grind down the tray so that when you expose the picture, light would be exposed around the, the film. And so I did that in my first book, White Trash, and Andy liked that a lot. And so we brought that style to that book. And you can see that there. Another interesting fact about this book, Andy didn't take particularly uh, technically astute photographs. Uh, they were often overexposed, underexposed, out of focus. But because they, he was in extraordinary situations with extraordinary people, what I decided to do is I would often take the out of focus, uh, blurry pictures if somebody famous was in them and they were a crazy moment, sort of like that. That's an overexposed picture, but it's with Elizabeth Taylor and, and Henry Kissinger. I would make those big pictures and the in-focus pictures I would make small because basically it's the artist who makes the decision about what's going on. And this was just always uh, either drinking too much coffee or being too excitable, but I'm always doing multiples of stuff. And of course, it, it plays into Warhol's thing about his style was about multiples. And we, the, the, the libretto of this book is seen with lots of multiple pictures at the front. And are they in the back also? No, just at the front. Just at no, it's just the front. Yeah, front. Yeah, 
And also, I think it was about getting as many names in the book as possible. That's right. So that, you could, that he could yeah. sell a book to well, all the people yeah. that were in it. <laughs> yeah, the whole point is get as many names in there so they'll all want to buy the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you do a book, any of you, or publish books or do anything, make sure you thank everybody. Because when you thank everybody, they'll, they see their name and they'll want to buy the book. <laughs> There's an example of one of the works, too, from the book, Bianca Jagger. And I think this book, so this book, I was just going to say a little bit, that so Andy Warhol started taking photographs with a 35mm camera in 1976. You know, he, he was just learning and learning a lot from you about tips about how to use the camera. And in 1979 is when this book was published. So it represents a lot of his photographic practice from those three years. And then the following year after this, and, and this was also announcing to you know, New York that I'm a photographer. Um, the following year, he published a portfolio. The first one was 12 photos, which Bianca Jagger is in, and you were uh, involved I printed, with that. I sort of was the creative director and art director of this portfolio that you guys are really lucky to have. It's published by Bruno Bischofberger. I think there were two portfolios, and you have both of them here, and it's quite, you're quite lucky. Nope, I have not seen any Warhol exhibits anywhere in the world where they have the complete set of these photographs. And, and, and as Julie mentions many times, the basis of all of Warhol's work is photography. And so for you to see the kernel, the sort of the, the beginning of what Warhol, how he created art, is in this town and not in any other town in Australia or any other location in the world. And I've seen many of these shows from Shanghai to Beijing to New York, London and Paris. Um, you have a show that has never been seen. So spread the word because this is very unique and it's up until when? 14th of May. 14th of May. Yeah. So that's just around the corner. Yeah, yeah. So. No, you're right. I mean, we, we own one of those portfolios and the other portfolio... Oh, you we own those? We own one and we borrowed the other one directly from the publish, publisher, Bruno Bischofberger, in Switzerland. So it is, I agree with Christopher, it is very rare. I can't think of very many occasions ever when they've been shown together. Yeah, so, you know, if not ever. That's right. Here's an example of another two works from um, just from uh, those portfolios, uh, and it just reminds me of the sort of people that Andy Warhol was photographing. You were photographing the celebrities of New York of the 70s and 80s. And well, these people. What were, was it like? You know. Yeah, these people were just hanging out. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, uh, yeah, shirtless, <laughs> was uh, just hanging out at the, uh, at the factory. Um, what, uh, yeah, that was actually at Andy's desk. Uh, yes. And see, you could see the rotary phone um, and the Rolodex in the background. And the something. Bridget had left for the day. But this is so interesting because this is David, Hawk, uh, David Hockney, and he's in the window facing Union Square. Uh, has anybody been to New York City and do you know where Union Square is? Yes. Oh, good, so a few of you do. So at Union Square, if you're ever there again, 860 Broadway, it's at the corner of 17th Street and Broadway. That, he was on the third floor and now Petco, which is a dog uh, company, 
that's where their executive offices are on the third floor. So it's really wild to think that one of America's most important pop artists who's exported his art all over the world is now occupied by a pet company. Um, it's sort of wild, the notion. I went upstairs one time and they, what used to be sort of big open spaces was, uh, is now all turned into cubicles. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's really strange. But it's appropriate because Andy Warhol loved his um, dogs. Yeah. And so earlier maybe. on he loved his cats, you know. Yeah, so maybe, yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> and part of the time, so you, you were like a, a major photographic collaborator, a companion, a friend. Um, and often you would travel together, be photographing together. And this is a lovely example in the exhibition where you're both photographing the same person on the same day. Yeah. Salvador Dali. So it, it highlights the different approaches you have. Like it's fascinating, um, you know, if you look through other books and were to compare your photos and his photos, how different they are, but, you know, different yeah. perspectives. Uh, and, and, and you know what a, a really interesting point about bad photography? <laughs> um, the, picture, <laughs> the picture of ultraviolet and Warhol. At that time, if you were a photographer, you wouldn't publish a picture like that because she's so overexposed. You'd want to have some density of something. And the negative, I remember, the negative had no, had no density to it whatsoever. But because it was a really special moment with his attitude and her, that we, we, we took that leap of faith. And now you can see a lot of photographs, art photos, that have that kind of thing where it doesn't matter. You either see a silhouette or something is out. But, and that's the difference between like that photo and my photo on the right, which is, which is actually properly exposed and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's a great photo. And do you wanna just, um, when I was reading, I found the great story that you put in, actually in the In Context book about that day and that lunch. And do you remember that one about Andy Warhol brought a gift for Salvador Dali and he brought a gift back? Do you remember that story? Um, remind me. It's a, apparently, Andy Warhol brought a gift of a painting to Salvador Dali at lunch. Yeah. And Salvador Dali brought a rubbish bag full of rubbish from his studio yeah, and put it on the table. True. I yeah. wasn't there. Uh, I wasn't there. There was another story, I, you know, but there, there was another story about somebody giving Andy $100 of $1 bills and then uh, somebody throwing him in the fireplace and Andy rushing to get the dollar bills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's a yeah, that yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a similar one too. Well, it's true. It, there's one in the exhibition on his birthday one year. Um, Steve Rebell gave him a rubbish bin full of uh, $1,000 in $1 bills and Halston gave him a fur coat. And yeah, he's then photographed, you know, throwing the, the money in the air. And then I think uh, probably 12 months later, Steve Rebell went bankrupt. And when they went through the books, they discovered it was only 800, not 1,000. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Warhol was not happy. <laughs> so anyway, we di digress. Um, <laughs> Then, an, like another occasion where you're both together at the same time is the Liza Minnelli photo shoot day. So we've got the Polaroid by Warhol on the left, but on the right are the photographs that you took that day because John Lennon unexpectedly arrived at the factory and then 
the two of them met for the first time, and then you've, you've got these wonderful photographs here. Yeah, the Kissing series, which you, you guys are lucky enough, it's now in the permanent collection of this museum. The one of uh, John Lennon kissing Warhol. Um, I, I had a two-page column in Interview Magazine, um, and I was always looking for content for the, for the magazine. And so I think it was Janu uh, December, January. We were coming up on the month of February, and the big holiday in February is Valentine's Day. So I thought the appropriate content would be Andy Warhol kissing various people that came to the factory. And so that particular day, you know, it was Liza Minnelli was there, uh, John Lennon was there, uh, Salvador. I have a picture of Salvador Dali. I have another one of Philip Johnson, the architect. Um, and so that's, this, that's that series of photos. They're called this, the Kissing Series. Yeah, they're fantastic. Now, this is a surprise for you. So you were photographing each other and beside each other. So here's a couple of examples of Andy Warhol photographing you. And um, you know about the one where you're in the shower here. Well, I, what is this one with the legs about? Yeah, I discovered they're your legs. Who, whose are they? Yours, the ones with the socks. No, those aren't my legs. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't want to have to show you the contact sheet, but yeah. They are not my legs. That's a skirt. I never wore skirts. No, not that one. And no. those aren't my legs above there. That's another person. Those aren't my... Wait a minute. I'll show you later. You'll... you got to prove it, honey. you got to prove it. Prove it. Because I, I, you know, does anybody think that that's... That's not me. No, not the first one. The second one. The second one? Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. That's not me. All right, let's tell, tell right. me about the shower. Oh, yeah. Well, Andy was always trying to get some kind of naked pictures of me, and I would never <laughs> let him do it. And somehow he walked into, um, this is in my apartment in the West Village, and he walked in and sort of, uh, you know, I just let him to come in a little bit. Just tease, <laughs> you know what I mean? He has, he, he, there's a, it's too bad you don't have that, there's a famous Polaroid he took of me. And, um, <laughs> It's a beautiful Polaroid. It's like three or four pieces. You've seen that Polaroid, haven't you? And I was wearing a, ja a whole jacket, and I, was, I had a rather large black tie, and I was down on my knees like this, oh, no, and I, I had no clothing on, but the tie covered up my business, you know what I mean? <laughs> so you couldn't see anything. You don't, you, that's a really, I haven't seen that one. No, that's a pretty famous one, yeah. <laughs> so, you know what? <laughs> You know, boom, boom. What they talk about if you have a wide tie, you know what that means. <laughs> Anyhow, go ahead. Okay. And that leads us to you photographing Andy Warhol many, many, many times. Where, where are we? These are starting a series of photographs that you have taken of him or at his house in this case. So, Andy No, this is my studio on 15th Street right off of 7th Avenue at the time. And... Um, if you see that harness around Warhol's stomach, that Andy had to wear that all the time because when he was shot by Valerie Solanas, she had, this is this woman that wrote the Manifesto Scum, Society for Cutting Up Men, when she was upset that uh, Andy wouldn't produce her play, uh, she went to the factory and shot him point blank. And so they saved his life. Of course, Andy was very upset uh, when he was in the recovery room because it's the same day that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was yeah. shot. 
And so Robert F. Kennedy was on the front page. Andy was on page two. <laughs> so, uh, and this, um, and I don't know why he's getting massaged. I think he was getting massaged just because he liked this guy and any reason to have the guy touch him and pay for it. Uh, and then this here is a little detail of the Stanford White houses out in Montauk. Andy bought this compound, one main house, and there were like four or five small Stanford White. And if you're not familiar, Stanford White's a really famous American architect. And this was on the sort of bluffs of Montauk. And Halston would often rent this house, and he'd have his, quote, Halstonettes. His Halstonettes were people like Pat Cleveland, um, and I can't think of the rest, but there was a few people that he always would have in his fashion shows. And uh, Pat Cleveland, who's still around, still absolutely cool, and she was always naked, just running around and, yeah. you know. And Halston, uh, you can't really see, but he's got a, c a cigarette uh, in his mouth. And he, this is quite a joyous photograph. He was very happy out here. It's a, it's a fantastic photograph. And this, this was sort of right on the uh, coast there, and yeah, fantastic place to be. And this one's in Paris? Well, here, Andy, again, is, uh, it hasn't really been talked about, about Warhol being my muse, but he very much wanted to, to be photographed and to be photographed a lot so that when uh, somebody pointed a camera at him, he knew how to pose. And so wherever we traveled, I would always put him in a situation where he could be a, a potential portrait session would go on. And so not that Andy knew how to row or ride a bike or do any of that stuff. This is a completely set up shot. But this is one of these moments where he was, uh, you know, clearly posing, you know what I mean? Trying to be that groovy guy that, you know, knows how to row a yeah. boat. So that's an interesting thing, because they could be seen as candid shots of something that was happening, but you're, you asked him to get in that boat. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. I, I, these are all like setups. Yeah, and here's some more. These are more setups. <laughs> this, uh, this here was taken in Madrid, and um, this is really an appropriated photograph because there's a Spanish photographer who set this whole thing up, did the thing in color, and then I, I just was, taking this picture uh, in black and white. And of course, my picture became really famous. And his picture's sort of famous because it's connected to my picture. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. but he set it up. And then this is some moment in S Switzerland. And uh, yeah, this yeah. is in Zurich. And it was during Lent, 1982. And we were just getting ready to go to a circus. And they were passing around these clown noses. And I said, put this on. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> and there he said, he was perfect. He was such a good subject matter for me because he, I would just tell him to do this stuff and he'd do it. And he looks so deadpan, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. Well, what are you going to do there? Give a big smile? I mean, <laughs> same here. <laughs> all these pictures are like this. It's this Actually, good it's the same face all the if, time. What is Christopher making me do now? Yeah. <laughs> By the way, if you're ever in Paris, this is at his apartment then. This is at Cannes Recherche Midi uh, in the left bank, and it's still there. If you're ever there, this is a marvelous uh, pastry shop across the street called La Poilon, 
and uh, he would love to go get apple tarts there. And at the end of Rue Cherchemidi was a restaurant called Cherchemidi that's still there and it has the most delicious Italian food. So you can do like three Warholian things on this one little street. Go to Cannes uh, Rue Cherchemidi, Poilon and have an apple tart and then go have pasta at the end on a, mag a restaurant called Cherchemidi. And they're still all functioning restaurants that are there. Fabulous. Uh, yeah, okay. So he did go to Paris a lot, and so did you, didn't you? We took the Concorde yeah. all the time. It was so much fun to be a young lad traveling around the world, supersonic. Because not many of my friends could say they were supersonic. And to, to, to fly at the edge of the atmosphere of the Earth above 60,000 feet and see the, aperture, the curvature of the Earth, uh, and to go to New York, to go to Paris or London in three hours and 20 minutes, or to come back and le leave at a certain time and arrive before you left was so super cool. Yeah, amazing. Ah, and then it, we come to this amazing series, Altered Image, which is, we've borrowed a beautiful set of five photographs from the National Gallery in Canberra which are from this set, and I'm going to ask you, this is like a really important collaboration you did. Yeah, well, this, this collaboration came about because Warhol and I were talking about doing something together. We were trying to find something that had artistic uh, contents, uh, historical presence, and Marcel Duchamp and Man Ray did a collaboration called Rose de la Vie in the 1920s. Uh, 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 Man Ray was the photographer, Duchamp was the painter. We switched, we did those roles and these photos are not, there's, if you can find these books, one of them's called Lady Warhol, another one's published by Bruno Bischofberger and they're 365 photographs, five wigs and one photograph for every day of the year. Um, and the, this series is, uh, He's not wearing dresses. This is not about drag. This is about identity and playing with identity. Uh, and, and, and more than ever, these pictures were taken in 1981, and more than ever, the idea of what identity is is so crucial into all of our cultures. I mean, you have this identity situation going on with your Aboriginal peoples. And so it, it's so hard. Crazy to, and we have that going on in America. We have two Americas who who are the you know the red and the red and the blue people uh, in America. It seems to be something that is so relevant in today's world. And this was going on in 1981 because at the time Halston, the dress designer, asked us if we wanted to borrow one of his dresses, and it probably would have been a sequin dress or something like that. And we weren't really going for a drag thing. We were going to play with identity in the way that Cindy Sherman plays with identity, in the way that Paul Soberg and I have played with identity in the Hilton Brothers' work. Um, and that's what this is about. And you're lucky enough to have this on loan from the major museum. And I think you have a total of five of them? Yeah. 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 Here. And that's quite um, an important series of photos. Yeah. And do you think that uh, Robert Maplethorpe was also sort of an example, perhaps, for uh, Andy Warhol regarding this? I have no this? clue in what Maplethorpe okay. was doing. None of us because ever spoke to each other. We could oh, really? care less to, about each other. Oh, you didn't, but Andy I, no, did. No, my story with Robert Maplethorpe, Sam Wagstaff, yeah. came 
And what, what Sam was doing, Sam was going around to different photographers and talking to them about what they were doing to find out what people were doing on the scene at the time. Oh. And uh, most of us who were part of that, we thought that Sam was coming to maybe buy a photo or something, and actually he was just coming to see what all of us were doing. Uh, interesting. So interesting. none of us were really happy about that. No. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you know, no. tell, you know but, uh, which to do yeah. with what you want with that story. <laughs> I will. So your, you didn't have that connection with Maplethorpe, but Warhol did. I mean, they sort photographed of, each sort other. Of. Yeah. I mean, Maplethorpe was doing all those sex things. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was, it was like the difference. Maplethorpe was the Rolling Stones. I was the Beatles. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, yeah, that yeah. was the difference there. Yeah. Now, um, this is one of your photos that is a stitched photograph, and that I'd like you to talk about how you know that was very influential well, when I was on up, Andrew. My mom Warhol. had a sewing machine, and I used to love to go to the sewing machine because I was an only child. I had no brothers or sisters, so I, I had to make my own little world. And I used to take paper, and I loved to take the paper and stitch it together and make things with it. And Andy was having a major photography show. And we never, I could never really figure out, like, what are we going to show? This was before the Bruno Bischoff burger period. And so what, we were, what was happening is I thought Andy, let's, Andy was known for his multiples. And so I thought, let's take your pictures and just do them four times and stitch them together. You happen to have the ones that are four, but there are others that are four, six, different things. So that's what we did. And I had given him this idea, basically art directed and curated this exhibition it was at uh, the Robert Miller Gallery on 57th Street. And this was one of his most, along with the Bruno Bischoff Burger portfolio and this series of sewn photographs, this is probably his most important photography uh, um, uh, collection, other than it is separate from the notion of him taking pictures and making silk screens. Yeah. So he took photographs and made, took it and made artworks out of it. This was where the artwork was actually the photographs. Yeah. He didn't do anything with these except this, these assemblages, collages were actually the finished artwork, where is the other material, albeit except for Bruno Bischofsberger's portfolio, uh, were not the end product. Yeah, and um, it's these are this is an example of two of Andy Warhol's stitch photos, and it's worth noting that this exhibition that you're talking about at Robert Miller Gallery opened in January 1987, and Warhol died in February 1987. It, January. So, oh, tell me, so yeah, so January, and then we went to Italy for yes. the Last Supper, yes. and then he started to get sick. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it was his last exhibition in New York, and you know, it's possibly you know the direction that he was going to pursue further. Oh, for sure, he would have gone in this direction. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, in his estate, there's lots of unstitched photos ready to be made into stitched photos. Oh, are there? It? Yeah, you know, like just the four printed up, ready to go. Oh, I see. And his diary at the time of his, you know, just you know, days before he died, he was doing a lot of male nudes in the studio, which were stitched for stitched photos, oh, okay. yeah. And um, 
I'll finish on this one because that's. Yeah, well, this, this one is the cover of my book. There's there were only 10 books in Australia. Three are gone. That means there are seven left. I know there's more, but if you have them, I'll be happy to sign them tonight before you leave. But um, there's this book, this, these pictures come from a series of um, the Sony Corporation had come to Andy to help to be, uh, to endorse a TV or Sony product. And so what happened is Fred Hughes, the business manager, didn't know how to ask for a fee. So then we thought, well, let's get Zoli Models or the Ford Modeling Agency to have him as a special booking, which is a special booking is you're not the regular person, but you can do a special booking firm. And so uh, I don't know if you've seen the Netflix documentary on Netflix, but uh, that just came out of like, I don't know, 10 months ago. Um, and 12 months before that, when we started to work on the documentary, I, I, I thought I had done all the Warhol books I could possibly do. But when I thought about that, then I thought this would be an opportunity to bring out another aspect. In this particular book, there are about six or seven different photo shoots of him being a model. Very little known, it's not many people know about his modeling career. This book discusses that. David Fahey in Los Angeles wrote the introduction, and uh, this book is him being awkwardly so a model. If you look at these pictures, look at his hands, it's all about his hand gestures. Uh, he, he was quite awkward in front of the camera, but these were his, most models have a portfolio. These pictures are part of his portfolio, and this is unlike any of my other books. Yeah. Um, this is Andy as a zombie, Andy dressed oh, up yeah. uh, in the a crystals? Chinese thing, uh, outfit, um, different moments of that. And on that note, if you have any questions, I'll be happy to take them, but it's been a pleasure to tell you my personal stories. Are we taking the questions? We started a little bit late, so there is time for a couple of questions. Maybe. All right, does any, uh, let's start with this gentleman right here. You know, it's so interesting you asked that question, the, the question about Warhol and spirituality. Andy, every Sunday, went to church. Um, I don't know if that's a sense of spirituality, but because we're, he was a Catholic boy, he felt like he was supposed to do that. Um, um, we never really discussed that. You know, when Andy's mom died, he just thought she went to Bloomingdale's, um, you know, and never came back. Uh, he, Andy never really saw a dead person. He, it's sort of my thing, too. I don't think I've really seen a dead person. I don't like to do that. Um, so um, I don't know. Uh, he, he was spiritual in, in a way that he believed in family life because everybody that was close to him was part of a family, part of the factory. So he was quite, quite a dad, quite a mom, quite a brother, quite a sister, quite a, quite a great friend. So uh, I saw some other hands. Uh, uh, Christopher, could you tell us a little bit about your family heritage, uh, where you were brought up? And if you weren't brought up in uh, New York, how did you get to New York? Uh, yeah, so I, I'm very much like you Australians. I'm Greek and Italian. <laughs> 
because I, I didn't know that you, there's all you Greeks and all you Italians. So I'm Greek and Italian. Mo, my th years from thir zero to 13 were spent in uh, a Lowell, Massachusetts, which I always say there could be nothing lower than Lowell. Uh, it's a mill town north of Boston. Jack Kerouac, Betty Davis were born there. Um, uh, my mom uh, decided to leave her second husband after she got married, uh, still being married to her second husband while she was in Italy on a trip. My mom was a kooky lady. Uh, and so we, she just decided to pack up and go to Southern California. And I spent most of my teen years from 13 to 19 in Los, uh, in La, out in Los Angeles, which made me the kind of person that I actually became. And then uh, after high school, I decided to get in a car, a Mustang convertible with a friend, and drive to New York City, arrived, and I sort of found myself in the circle of Warhol, Tennessee Williams, Truman Capote, writers, authors, artists. And from that point on, that's how my sort of career as Chris Makos and the person that I was and have become and still am in front of you is here. Yeah. Who, well, uh, yes, sir. The question was, uh, could you say something about Bridget Berlin? About who? Bridget Berlin. You know Can what? you talk I, about I, I, her? Bridget Berlin, uh, you, uh, if you don't know about the factory for real, the factory had four factories. There was the first and the second factory. Those were the silver factory. That was the kind of drug factory, the Billy yeah. Name factory, all the... LSD factory. I wasn't part of that. I was part of the last two factories, which were at 860 Broadway and 33 Madison Avenue. So, and Bridget was part of those first two factories. She did come along to the second, to the third and fourth, but you know, most of the answering phones, um, it was a different thing. And also, after Warhol was shot, it got much more serious. It wasn't, you know, not anybody could just pop by. Yeah. yeah, I think Bridget's um, Polaroid practice really sort of went for a short but very intense span into, say, from 1968 till about, I don't know, 1973 or something like that. So probably by the time you knew her, she was yeah. no longer taking Polaroids. Yeah. She was, you know, yeah. working in the office, helping out, transcribing, typing, answering phones. Yeah. 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 Uh, what was it? And, Tapestry, yeah, yeah embroidery, embroidery. Well, what can I say, but uh, yes. Oh, go ahead. Yes, sir. Uh, Christopher, thank you. That was wonderful. Um, I noted last year that an Andy sold for 195 million US. Would he have had any idea that something could sell for that amount of money? And what would he have said had he been with us? about the, uh, a painting going for $195 million. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he would have been happy, right? Um, he'd be so pissed off <laughs> that he, because you know, a lot of these portraits, like the portraits that you saw, that the, the, you have the portraits here, you know, he, uh, there's a real reason why there are four of them. Because he, he when you commissioned him, it was $25,000 a portrait. He would do three more, hoping that you would buy them, because he was quite pissed off that people buy like Roy Lichtenstein. There was a wait list for his paintings, and his paintings were going for like $125,000. Yeah. And so Warhol was kind of like, 
how are we going to make up for this? And so if he did one, if you commissioned one, he would make all these different silk screens, hoping that you'd spring for two, three, or four. Yeah. One last question there. With the portraits, is it true if you bought one, it was 25,000, if you bought two, it was like 30,000, so they became cheaper the more you bought? They became uh, yeah, cheaper, uh, they became cheaper, but not, uh, it was 15 they gave a the deal, like one. it's like, you know, you buy one, you get two, you get three, you get four, you get one free, you know what I mean, that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Okay, so I think we might end it there. Thank you for your questions, everyone. And uh, thank you, Julie, for your incredible determination, passion, research, inquiry, curiosity, intelligence. <laughs> And thank you, Christopher Marcos, uh, for coming all this way and for sharing these stories for everything that you've done in your life. Uh, and uh, wonderful to have you here. Great pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs>